So, it's a privilege to be able to bring the word of the Lord to you again. And uh, I'm going to share with you a little bit, just kind of recap what we talked about last week. I had a unique situation that I got to do two weeks in a row. So, the Lord changed everything that I was going to do today. And instead, we're piggybacking a little bit, and we're expounding on Psalms 37. So, here we go. Um, Last week, when we were talking about Psalms 37... We were talking about six steps that get us closer to God, the six steps that we can take to get closer to holiness. And I'm not going to spend a long time there because that's what we did, but just to remind you the six steps, trust in the Lord was in Psalms 37, commit your way to the Lord, be still before the Lord, refrain from anger, turn from evil, and do good. Remember that last one? We talked about the fact that our refinement and our steps towards holiness are a great thing because it draws us closer to our Savior, and isn't that what we all want? However, the purpose of us being close to the Lord is so we can be that reflection and that salt and that light. And so refinement isn't just for us. Refinement is so we can outflow and we can do good with others or for others. So that's the action step that we're going to concentrate on this morning. So a question for you. When God asks us to do something good or he puts a request for action on us, how do we respond? Where's your heart when God calls? So let's take a look into the heart of one of the most well-known Old Testament characters, Moses. When we look in Exodus, and I'm going to be starting in some of the scriptures from Exodus 3 going into 4, if you want to turn there. When we look at Exodus, we find the story of the Israelites' release from the bondage in Egypt. And remember, they were very suppressed under Pharaoh, and they were enslaved. And God was crying out to Moses and saying, Moses, Moses, I'm worried about the people. I see the suffering in them. And I have a plan. We see that Moses was called by God to lead the people to the promised land. Moses was unsure of his ability to lead. When we're called by God, have we ever had the situation where we're like, right? So the fact that he was a little unsure is not real surprising. Many of us may have been there before. But we see God not only call Moses, but as we read through these scriptures, we're going to see how good God is at equipping the people that he calls. Remember that when Moses needed to go in front of Pharaoh... You know, I've heard some different philosophies and thoughts on Moses and why he was so timid and why he didn't feel confident to go. Some people say, well, we've heard that maybe he had a speech impediment, yada, yada. I don't know. Maybe his just general character was a little bit introverted. But remember that God brought Aaron into the picture. He supplied the confidence that Moses needed. Aaron helped be that voice. But Moses was obedient. I can say from my own experience in life that there are times that God might be calling me to use my time, a talent, resources, my home, a vehicle, food, 
And I'm like, are you kidding right now? <laughs> Do you know how many other things are on my schedule? Have you ever had that opportunity to be convicted? And when you are convicted, you just decide that God's ways are higher. Remember, we talked about that. And somehow, when I surrender, it all works out. And it's usually even the things I wanted to do end up working out too. God's good that way. So Moses was dedicated to God and he was aspiring to holiness. Moses' life was dedicated to listening to the Lord. He was obedient even though he felt insufficient. Keep in mind that Moses had a history of doubt. Exodus 3 tells us about when God called to Moses from the burning bush. You can read with me if you're there. He says, Moses, Moses. Moses said, here I am. You see that in your text? And the Lord goes on to describe the compassion for the oppression of those Israelites that he's calling Moses to free. He's calling Moses in obedience to be a large player in that scene. You'll see that he also says to Moses in 3.10, in Exodus 3.10, So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Can you just imagine? What? But there's that action. So now go. He didn't say consult somebody. Go. It's action. And then right after that, here comes the doubt from Moses. He was very hesitant to be sent. If you look in verse 11, he says, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Now, it's okay if we're not putting our full confidence in the flesh. We shouldn't, right? But you'll see a little bit later where that's turning and that doubt is really not his friend. And he starts questioning the confidence of God and the power of God to bring this all into fruition. Verse 12 says, I will be with you. This is God speaking. I will be with you. I will be with you. He is with us. We just need to call on the name. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. When I was reading this, something popped out at me that had never popped out at me before. And maybe I'm in my infant stages compared to a lot of you, and so this is something that has occurred in your mind before, but I'm going to share it. God is saying, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. He's talking about that same mountain that he called him from. Do you see the full circle? That's like a promise, right? A promise of being with him and a promise of bringing him through what he's calling him to do. To me, it signals confidence that God knows that he's already won the battle. That God knows that he's going to be successful in this task. When you look at the first part of chapter 4 in Exodus, you'll see that Moses starts shrinking again from this dangerous task. 
And he's questioning God, and he said, what if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Once again, God patiently answers him. And he says, see that in your hand? A staff, Moses said. What was that in his hand? A staff. This reflects a precious principle regarding how God uses men. And God uses what Moses had in his hand already. His years of tending sheep were not useless. Now notice this is not the same staff that he carried when he was royalty. This is a shepherd's staff. It's a much more humble instrument. Not the scepter, but the staff. God likes to use what's in our hand. If we look Judges 3.31, God uses what was in Shamgar's hand. Shamgar struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. What's an ox goad? That's what you're wondering, huh? I had to look it up myself. It's a cattle prod. Sharp stick. Another instance where God used what was in someone's hand already. God used what was in David's hand in 1 Samuel 17, 49. Remember that boy that had the sling and the stone in his bag? That's all he had. God uses a jawbone of a donkey in Samson's hand in Judges. When I was reviewing that whole story, Maybe I'm just sick, but Judges 15, 16, part of the scripture says, Then Samson said, With a donkey jawbone, I made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. And I thought, that's kind of like a catchy little tune. With a donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I have killed a thousand men. Not like I want to go around with a donkey's jawbone or killing people. But I'm just thinking that is a really cool little ditty to put in my head to remember when I'm trying to overcome a task, I could sing a little bit of Samson. Right? God uses what's in our hands. God used the five loaves and the two fish in the hands of that little boy with that big crowd. It makes me just wonder what's in my hand that maybe I just haven't looked at with the purpose of using it for the Lord. Now remember, God had asked Moses, what's in your hand? And it was his staff. Remember that this is also the rod that will part the Red Sea. The Lord said, throw that on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a what? A snake. And it says he ran from it. There are a lot of us that are afraid of snakes, right? Or we at least have a healthy respect for them. And that could have been one of the most threatening, dangerous things for that staff or that rod to become. And when he threw it on the ground and it became a snake, it really got his attention, right? And he ran from it. Now, he probably didn't run too far. I'm thinking it might be a jump back. 
and I was looking up the Greek and I couldn't find anything to give me exactly what the body motion was besides run. But then you read right away where God says to do what? To reach out your hand and grab the tail. So he couldn't have been too far, but it definitely got his attention and startled him. Now this timid Moses got gutsy. And all of a sudden, his confidence in what the Lord was doing with him, through him, for him, was back. And he was obedient. And he grabbed the snake by the tail. Now, I don't know about you all, if you've ever had an experience with a poisonous snake in the wild. I have. I lived in Arkansas for about eight years. The last place I would grab a poisonous snake is from the tail because that's the most dangerous place to grab it. I prefer myself when it was crossing the red dirt road just to drive my van over it, back it up, drove my van over it, back it up. I did. Tried to peel out. I guess the, the worst thing than a dead snake is a injured snake, mean snake whatever, so I ended up having to walk out there with my father-in-law on a shovel and take care of it because he didn't want it on the property mean. And when I was a little girl, my siblings were afraid of snakes. And I wore glasses even way back in third grade. So I would grab snakes and wrap them around my glasses and chase them around the yard because it was fun. But you wouldn't catch me grabbing a snake that's poisonous by the tail. That takes a lot of faith. But if I saw God change my rod into the snake, and then he commanded me to do something, possibly he's got my attention and my trust enough at that point, I might just do it. What is it that's in your hand? What is it that you haven't imagined that maybe you could grab it by the tail or in a different position in your hand that you can twist and you can turn it to where it can be used as a powerful tool for God? Are there times like Moses when we question the call, we question the tool? Are there times that God might give us signs and we run from them? Maybe it's just a step back. But could it be that we need to open our hearts to the tools that God provides for that task, even if they come in the form of something really unexpected? Moses often thinks, or oftentimes was um, self-diffident. He was shy and he was lacking in self-esteem. And we often think of humility as a positive thing, but when it hinders us from our duty or it clogs us into that duty where we can't move, it's displeasing to God. But before we pass too much judgment on Moses for shrinking from his obedience in Exodus, let's ask our own hearts if we might be neglecting some duties that are easier and much less perilous or dangerous than freeing the Israelites. God had another request of Moses. Let's look at another example where God calls and then he equips. Remember the conversation that God had with Moses regarding the building of the temple? The tabernacle? This was the wilderness version 
right? The holy place, the dwelling place for the divine presence of the Lord. God was with them. They were called to build this amazing place. And when you think of the skills of the Israelites that had fled out of Egypt, the majority of, majority of them were brickmakers. We know this historically. I don't know that we had any high-skilled architects or engineers or goldsmiths. The majority of these people were common laborers. Now, there were a variety of tribes that were represented in these Israelites. And we should note that God doesn't show favor when he's getting ready for this to be built. He doesn't show favor in choosing the leadership. He chooses some really unlikely characters. There are times in our social groups or maybe at work where promotion is open and you have somebody that's just kind of tagged for that and everybody expects for that position. And if something else happens, it gets a little topsy-turvy. It throws us off kilter a little bit. God's trying to prove a point that he will use common people and that he can equip those who are unskilled for his glory. He knew that he could equip these people through the Holy Spirit. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus 31. We're going to look at 1 through 11. As we read this section, I'd like you to be listening for details of the equipping. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with skill, ability, and knowledge in all kinds of crafts, to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze, to cut and set stones, to work in wood, and to engage in all kinds of craftsmanship. Moreover, I have appointed Oholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, to help him. Remember, we had some unexpected show up. Also, I have given skill to all the craftsmen to make everything I have commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, with the atonement cover on it. Be listening to the detail here, church. And other furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand and all its accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering and all its utensils, not just the burnt offering altar, but with the utensils, the basin and its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments for his sons, when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrance incense, for the holy place. They are to make them just as I commanded you. Not only was he worried about the details and equipping them to make this beautiful tabernacle, but he clothed them. He equipped them through the Holy Spirit. Brickmakers. I can't make bricks. But there are other things that I can do. 
Obedience doesn't mean that we have to do things with perfection, but it does mean that we need to walk out that calling in obedience to the best of our ability. It means we need to be honest with God like Moses was. And if you feel inside of you when you're called, why me? Call it out to the Lord. He wants to hear our hearts. He knows our hearts already, so call it out. The more that we can give it to him and give our worries to him, remember that his love overcomes any fear that we have. If God calls us to it, then we need to do it. God understands our weaknesses, and he gives us the tools, like with Moses and the others that we read about, to successfully conquer whatever it is that he's asking us to do. He shows his love and his grace for humanity by listening when we have doubts and by coming along and giving us an errand. By coming along and giving us a rod. By coming along and giving us loaves of bread and fish. Oftentimes we have a lot more on our hands already than we really even realize. I want to be equipped. Psalms 25, 4 and 5 says, Show me your ways, O Lord, and teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth and teach me, for you are my Savior and my hope is in you all day long. All day long. You see the connection? All day long. That's exciting. God has prepared us beforehand. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's workmanship. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In advance. Like, he already knew that Moses was going to be a bit cowardly. He knows that when he was using that rod as a shepherd, that someday it would come into play. You are God's worksmanship. Maybe you don't believe it. I believe it. There's a lot of people around you that believe it. So start living into it. Look around at what's in your hands and how you can put that to work for the kingdom. Prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's an active request again. Show me we are asking for the wisdom and the equipping. If he's preparing in advance what we need to do, we need to listen and obey. Have you ever asked a child to do a chore? Everybody laughs on that one. Yeah, 50-50 chance, right? My mom taught me a long time ago, the outcome will be the same, you just have to word it a little differently. So, would you like to clean your room right now with music on? Or... Would you like to clean your room without the music? Right? Would you like mommy to race you to get the toys in the toy box, or would you like to do it by yourself? Right? There's ways to word things with our kids that hopefully the outcome is there. But what if a child didn't know what a toy was, didn't know how to clean their room? We prepare them ahead to be successful, don't we? We take the time to pour into our children and to train our children 
to complete simple tasks. Do you not think that our perfect Heavenly Father pours more into us even than that? If he has prepared us ahead of time, can you imagine? It's pretty exciting. He was unsure, but he was obedient. Perhaps that's not who you are. Perhaps you can't relate to being a bit hesitant in the call. Perhaps you're always seeking to walk out your calling. And so did this next Bible character. We're going to jump forward to the New Testament, and we're going to look at a person who can show us an example of a drastic change of heart, and then an active, sacrificial calling. This person was much more bold, and he was confident. This person was beaten and imprisoned repeatedly for the cause of Christ, but he didn't stop at anything This man was dedicated to repeat obedience, and he was dedicated to the mission of Christ. And he encourages us to press on. You know who it is? Yeah, you got it. So let's turn to Philippians 3, 12 through 15. We've seen with Moses how God calls and equips, correct? There are stories of equipping throughout the Bible. If you are feeling less than this morning in your calling, go read the equipping scriptures. They're empowering. Paul we know as Saul before. He was a man of power. He was able to take what he had and turn it for the kingdom. Complete turn. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and I'm straining towards what is ahead. I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. That's good news. There's a lot maybe I don't feel clear about. But Paul was dedicated to this mission, and if anyone should feel insufficient because of past behaviors and guilt, it could be Paul. He had a horrendous life carrying out the persecution on the Christians. If anybody could be stopped because of past guilt and behavior, that could be me. But God creates a new thing. Saul and the old Karen are way back on that road, they're dead. We're a new creation. He was so overwhelmed by the grace that God had given him and the redemption 
that he knew that his life had to turn and he had to spend the rest of his life moving forward and sharing that redemption story with others. If you look back with me at verses 12 to 15, Paul says, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He clearly understands that there is more to do and more to know. But he's devoted. If we wait until we think we have everything lined up to serve the Lord, and we know everything, we'll never start. There are a lot of questions that people could come to me and ask about the Bible. And I might be really dumbfounded, but I know the source of the answer. He knows that if he truly surrenders, that the life that he had won't be his anymore. And then he gives us some really wonderful advice. He cautions us. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind He's saying here to us, don't get caught up in the past failures. He had to let it all go in order to go forward. What happened back there, we can remember, and we can learn from it. And for me, it's a cause of celebration that I feel so free. So I don't ever want to really totally forget it. And maybe I can help some people that are going through the same type of situation that I've walked through. I'm redeemed. So is Paul. So we need to get busy. And how would everyone in this room, how would your life change if you could really start practicing leaving all of that mess behind and just straining towards what's ahead? Straining towards what's ahead. You see what my body just said? Straining towards what's ahead. We've heard from Pastor Dave several times about inclining. Inclining. Because if we constantly keep thinking about our past failures, even the past successes, we're reclined. We're hanging on to that past. Have you ever been around somebody, you know, a high school classmate that was, you know, the high school player, or maybe you have a friend who's a pro player, and they're wearing that ring? Everything in life from that point on is all about the ring. Yeah, (laughs) When we stay in the past, whether it's success or failure, we're not moving forward. We don't want our identity to be behind us. We want our identity in Christ, and we want to be moving forward. Isaiah 43 tells us, Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. There's that new thing I was telling you about. I am doing a new thing. And then he questions us. He says, do not perceive it. Forget the former. Can't you perceive the new things? He's doing a new thing, a new kingdom, and you're part of it. So incline and trust the call. Trust the Lord to equip you. Be willing to use the tools provided in your hands, even if they are ones that are unexpected. The thing these two had in common, Moses and Paul, is that they were both seekers of God. They both had a heart for service. They both moved forward, inclining towards the motion of the kingdom. 
They were both called on and supplied with unexpected tools in unexpected circumstances. They both had to choose in the moment, am I going to continue running or am I going to trust and obey? What is our posture when we are called? Do we trust? Will we obey? In the example of our timid Moses, he overcame. And he was used, and he was successful in the mission because of God's power to equip him. The Israelites were freed. And Moses returned to that mountain, and he worshipped God, as promised. And Paul, he was so overwhelmed by the grace that Jesus had brought to him that he could do nothing but serve. In his mind and in his heart, he had no choice. Have you ever had news that was just so good you wanted to share it? The reason that we are called to holiness is to share, to do the good. And Paul knew this, and he wanted to do the good. And he was successful in his mission because of the power of God flowing through him to equip him. Do you see that they both just acted as a conduit? There really wasn't anything special about Saul, Paul, Moses, Abraham. You could name every character in the Bible. You could name every person's name in this room. We're made in his image, and if he flows through us, we become these incredible vessels. This story of being called and equipped is alive today. This is our story. God still uses people in his work for his glory. You might be the doubter, feeling a little bit less than. You might be prepared and willing. Scripture tells us in Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. That's something that we commonly say. But do we believe it in our hearts? You'll think I'm funny, but there's some times that I say it out loud in my kitchen trying to open a pickle jar. I seriously do. I know it's weird, but I do. They open. But are there things like pickle jars, taking a meal, weeding a flower bed, ushering, working in children's ministry. You knew I'd plug that one in, right? That we're called to do, but we run from that snake. I don't know. Put your trust in the Lord's ability to do this work in you. Pray about it. Challenge him. He will show up. He will do the work. He will create a new thing. Leave your past behind and push forward towards what God has called you to do. He will equip you with the necessary tools. You just need to look around and say, what do I have that can be used, Lord Jesus? And it may not be what you thought. He would point out. So, we've seen in the Old Testament, 
We've seen it carried through to the New Testament. We know that it is present and active for us today, that the Lord is calling us to obedience, and he will equip us to the task. Again, being confident, this is Philippians 1.6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you. You. will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus.